Rob, I'm sorry that you got the uh, those old hard Old Testament names. Jephuna, Kenizzite, Emirates, Mosquito Bites, whatever they are. So glad you uh, did that for us. Um, well, here we go. Uh, we're in the book of Corinthians, and we're going to go slowly. And as uh, we learn these lessons, there's lots in here. And I would invite you again to think as though you were a disciple of Paul, and Paul is giving you some wisdom because uh, there's, there's no other person in the New Testament that has written so much uh, that explains what we as Gentiles need to know as Paul would teach these seven Gentile churches. And as we follow the missionary journeys through Paul, we're stopping at each place and taking that book and, and camping there. My, my metaphor for saying, we just want to enjoy this for a while, like a campfire. So we're now in this uh, beginning of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to stop at a place here where where you begin to realize as you take the long view from 1 Corinthians down to 2 Corinthians, there's something that's easily uh, overlooked, but Paul is setting the tone for how he's going to be going into this ministry. And so there are lessons here for us that God wants us to know. And I started this one uh, this week with the idea that there are differences that disrupt but the opposite, when the Holy Spirit's involved, there's a grace that brings people together for that connection, for that fellowship. And so we're going to look at this idea. And I, I know that many of you know that uh, I'm certified to teach the Myers-Briggs type indicator. And so when we talk about differences, um, it's always interesting whether it's individuals or cultures that you get into. It's always fascinating. But to be able to go into somebody else's world you understand what we understand in the tactics program, that communication is always uh, focused on the other person. And so we want to enter into this world 2,000 years ago to understand what they were going through. But the idea that there are differences from, from men and women, but the 16 personality styles differences, but we, we've looked at and we've done some training here. We may do some another Myers-Briggs later on this year, if you haven't gotten into that, I would certainly recommend you to do that. It's a little tool that just gives you a way to think. But the three essential ideas in the Myers-Briggs, the three things, and I, I'm going to bring them in here to focus us a little bit, is that the key word is your preference. And that's the number one thing is about your patterns, <clears throat> your predisposition, how you are. you can be predictably understood to act in a certain way because the proclivities of your personality, whether it's extrovert or introvert, you're going to live your life in this world in a certain way that makes you different. Why? Because God made you different. And that's to be celebrated. And so to understand that, the, that you have preferences that people may or may not appreciate, but it's who you are, it's how God made you. That's one of the themes of the... Um, Myers-Briggs. The second one is, is this idea of wisdom. And Paul's talking about the wisdom, the wisdom of the Greeks. But for the Myers-Briggs, I bring out the fact that there are two key points of understanding personalities and differences is, is that you have to understand the perception. 
and where people start in that information process, what they look at and how they evaluate what they see, it's all about perception, about seeing things and seeing the way they see things helps you understand them. But not only is it the perception, it's the decision making and the logic that goes on beyond the perception. So both of these are tied together in this idea of wisdom, which we'll bring in to I, uh, these ideas in, in the Corinthians. But the third one, and I, I want to hear, I want you to hear this, is that the point of of God creating you is that you would be enjoyed that you would be somehow honored and desirable, that who you are is appreciated, really wonderfully appreciated. And I know you do that very well in this church. And uh, you kind of enjoy each other, like each other on a good day. But to appreciate the differences in order to love better. That's the goal and so in, <clears throat> to, to paraphrase this, go into Corinthians, I want to do this, that the preference that we have from, from Paul is that we learn how grace prefers to love, always to give that overwhelming sense of acceptance and belonging. Grace makes the unacceptable acceptable. And works begins to work on those relationships. And then wisdom is that idea of when do I when do I reflect that grace? When do I pass it on? And that wisdom, it's a timing issue, it's a sensitivity issue, it's an understanding issue. But to understand where people are and understand that people are all all over the map when it comes to understanding the Lord and understanding grace and understanding the gospel, people are just well, they're just different different places in their walk with Christ. And so to understand that there are differences in a good way, uh, we understand that, as Jane Goodall would say, that there are differences, as, as she's studied these in the animal world and she understands them in the people world. Every individual matters. Every individual has a role to play. Every individual makes a difference. And so far, we're on the positive side, that it's a good thing to be different, unique. But when we get into Paul, there's a, a different twist here. Because these differences aren't the personality differences or the things that are to be enjoyed. There are things that are going on in this, in this congregation, in, in, in uh, Corinth, that really was, as we introduced it last week, was there were people who were not mature, they were baby Christians. Paul spent a year and a half with them, and then he went off to Ephesus, and they were just a year and a half old in the Lord. And though Paul had spent time with them, like he did with the Thessalonians and the Philippians, they were still only a year and a half old in the Lord. So keep that in mind, that these were sophomores. Sophomores meaning soft, Sophia, lover of wisdom, more, meaning moros, moron. They were foolish wise fools or foolish men working into wisdom, but they, they weren't seniors. They, were, they weren't there yet. They were undeveloped. And they were at different levels. And therefore, they were bringing in their pagan background, and that background was interfering with a lot of things that God wanted them to do. And as you go through these 10, 11 issues or more, 
And, and there are issues why I think this is the book for America today. Uh, this is the book I would recommend as you read and understand. You take it right out into our culture. But all of these themes have to deal with one primary hinge concept perception that you're going to make decisions on. And there are various feeds into this, but the backstory, the background of the Corinthians, where they're coming from with the 30,000 gods and the idolatry and the sensuality, and but were they open to be taught? In the Greek mindset, there was a, a, a real arguing spirit, uh, a debating spirit, a, a worldly spirit, but the understanding of how they approach the gospel with that that background and their mindset uh, would either cause them to distort the gospel or misunderstand the gospel, but there, there are issues that are all related to their concept of how grace from the gospel would penetrate those relationships. And all of that's to say that how you understand what the Christian life is all about if you think the Christian life is simply being a good person, it's a moral system, it's a social club, it's a, it's a Western thing, it's a philosophy option, Paul says, no, 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 you really don't understand. Paul is not saying to the pagans, Jesus is one of the many options that you can add to your, your smorgasbord of gods. He would go in and destroy their concept. There are no idols you're worshiping a man-made structure. And what you're believing in is deluding you. And there is no other God out there. There's only one Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Shema. Our God is the only living God there is. And so Paul was out to destroy this pagan man-made foolishness that we call religion. Well, there's a lot to that. Caleb, as you go back into Caleb, and many other people in the Old Testament, I picked this one out because, not because it was hard, and I knew Rob would read it, so you'd have, no, I, I didn't do that, Rob. I, I picked it out because it says something about Caleb. It says, Caleb followed the Lord, and Caleb was one of these men uh, who followed wholeheartedly. When you think of people in the Old Testament, and you think about people who, who follow wholeheartedly, who comes to your mind? Well, there's a lot of people that you might have, but one that you really are drawn to, because you really like this guy. David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, a lot of people will come to mind. But let me bring out this question. It's a question... Oh, if you're a parent, you struggle with this. If you're a pastor, you struggle with this. If you're a human, you struggle with this. <laughs> um, and here's the question. Why do people have differences in their response to Jesus? Caleb is wholehearted. Why isn't every Christian wholehearted? You ever think about that? Or you think about, why am I not wholehearted? And so these questions is, what is it that motivates one man to really give up his career and go into missions? Or what is it that motivates one man to make decisions that are very difficult that 
are, that cost him financially to do the right thing. When another person would say, ah, just here, and get, get by with uh, a dishonest answer. How is it that some mature in faith and others just get stagnant in their faith? Do you ever think about that? Or if you have been in a season where God hasn't spoken to you and you don't feel motivated, yet you have the same resources that everybody else does. And when believers share the same gospel, the same promises, the same privileges, why are some people motivated and some people aren't? You ever think about that? In this book, you're going to find something really unique. You're going to find how Paul works through these problems with the Corinthians. And you're going to find how he wants them to learn some lessons that they wouldn't get from their neighbors, from their culture, but it comes directly from God himself. So this, there's a whole lot of people in Corinth that God wants to be like Caleb. And yet... You think about this wholeheartedness doesn't take place naturally because if it did, you all would be wholehearted. It takes a certain work, a partner, a one who's called alongside, a paraclete, the word called the word for the Holy Spirit. And therefore it means that there is a relationship. It's not a spirituality a spirituality that is an attainment as much as it is an affection for a relationship that you're cooperating with the Lord himself as the Lord cultivates your faith and understands and walks with you. And therefore, Paul knew the difference that makes the difference. The Corinthians didn't. And therefore, Paul was going to spend time to help them understand the grace of God. And so he begins this passage understanding and understanding that this is the first base. You've got to get to grace. You've got to get to the first base before you can move on. And so Paul, Paul understood that grace with God means grace with people. No grace with God, conflict. And therefore, you've got this beginning as Paul knew the difference that makes the difference. Last week I talked about God breaking Paul, breaking the strong, arrogant man, because God can't use the proud man, won't use the independent man. He will use the interdependent, one who's called alongside to follow. Well, we talked about that last week. But you need to understand that some people's perception of God is it's either a softy old Santa Claus up there or the man upstairs, or a good buddy, or some people think God is a state trooper with a speed gun just waiting along the side of the road, waiting to catch you in order to punish you because he wants you to learn a lesson. Some people think God is nowhere to be found. But their perception of God leads to a decision that leads not to wisdom, but to foolishness, to live a life apart from God. Because Paul understood that God pursued Paul, Paul understood that Paul could pursue people. Because what you do with people depends upon what you understand God does with you. 
And so all that's this understanding. And this is the theme. This is the principle. And, and think about this uh, this week. That the way you treat people is the way you treat God. And the way you treat God is the way you treat people. Now that's brought out lots of, lots of places in the in Old and New Testament. You know the golden rule. Do unto others. So if your pattern and your predisposition is to argue and dominate, you will try to argue and dominate this discussion with God. If you have this understanding that the way you want to be treated is a reflection of how you are being treated, then you're simply a a vehicle, a, a, a channel for all those past experiences that have shaped you and how you move into the world today. You heard it this way. Jesus said, there are people who are hungry. There are people who are without clothes. There are people who are in prison. And you visited me. You fed me. You touched me when you touch my people. You can't have a silo relationship with Jesus, my Jesus, my Savior, and not have it reflect out in your horizontal relationships. You heard the story where <clears throat> Jesus would say, uh, the people of this world hate you. Just remember, they hated me first. How people treat God will how will be how they treat you. And how God treats you will be how you can treat people. So when Paul heard about the Corinthian sophomores who were having conflict, his mind went to, oh, they don't know about the grace and the peace that God has for them. If they did, they would simply have peace and grace for those relationships. And therefore, they're underdeveloped. So in, in Corinth... In chapter 1, verse 10, he says, Now I exhort you, brethren, I exhort you, I appeal to you, I urge you, I beg you. He didn't command them. He's the apostle. You better get your act together. He says, no, no, I'm asking you. And he says that by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Can you imagine that? That all of us would have the same mind. Not the differences. There's a unifying theme that runs through your spirit, and that theme is the gospel of Christ's grace. But in Corinth, they weren't in agreement. They were in disruptive relationships. And therefore, Paul knew that he would have to reach out to these Corinthians who didn't understand some things about the Lord. But Paul was there to help develop that understanding. And one of those things, as we talked about, is that grace that enters, brings us into that relationship. For Paul, Paul understood that God is always the initiator. God always starts the relationship, and therefore, no matter where the person is, God is on the move, and he moves into those relationships. Uh, in Romans 5.8, it 
it says that God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we uh, in this that while we were sinners Christ died for us notice God doesn't pick up on our cue that that God doesn't relate to us the way we relate to God God relates totally different independent of our relationship to him it says while we were sinners Christ died for us you see Christ knows we're we're messed up we really are separated from Christ so much so that Paul will go on to Romans and says for while we were enemies while we were enemies that fist that fighting no way while we were enemies, we were reconciled. Who reconciled them? Well, God did through his son. Through the death of his son, much more than having been reconciled, we have it all. We'll be saved. We get, we're enriched. We have everything. But there are only few people who know that. Abraham knew that. When Abraham, uh, when God would speak to Abraham and Abraham understood the faith, it says in James 2 that Abraham believed God and because of his faith, God considered Abraham a what? Righteous and a friend. The friend of God. Abraham was called the friend of God. Put that on your business card. Kim Gardner, friend of God. There you are. Now, the idea that God would be your friend, without trivializing that, that idea that there's something so special about your relationship with the Lord that there's no one else that would match that. Abraham was a friend of God. Moses, it says in Exodus 33, 11, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face, face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. The idea that you would have friendship with the Lord when you are an enemy of the Lord. How does God respond to enemies? How does God respond to undeveloped Corinthians who are foolishly following the world? How does God deal with conflict? Uh, do you have enemies? How do you handle conflict? How do you handle those things in the past that have offended you, wounded you, People who have damaged the relationship to the point you say, no more. You ever said that phrase? This will never happen again. And you cut off the relationship. There's something missing there. Some people need more grace than they have. And therefore they cut off relationships because they can't handle the conflict. Not with Paul. Not with Paul. And Jesus would say to his disciples, I've got all the grace you need. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business, but you know your master. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. What a wonderful, what a wonderful idea that the Lord is going to share his heart with you. Wow. The Lord's going to participate with you. Wow. The Lord's going to send his spirit. Wow. The Lord loves you. Wow. Isn't that great? God loves his enemies. And therefore, in the church, it says in Corinth, to the church of God in Corinth, to those who are sanctified, set apart, your mind, you belong, I already accepted you. 
called to be his holy people together with all those who are called to be his holy people. You are not only called this way, but you're called this way. You are, have a calling. God's hand is on your life and God's spirit is, on, is in your life. And therefore, you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus as everybody else who does, who God loves. And Paul says, I thank God for you because of this grace, because of this grace. You get grace, 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 you get grace. You are grace-filled people, kind of. It's there for you, but for the Corinthians, they didn't understand. And therefore, Paul would appeal to them as brothers and sisters. At the beginning of this passage of, of, of Corinthians, Paul has to affirm the love and the relationship by starting with this peace and grace. And he says, I want you to all agree, not on the individual differences, but you all agree that God has opened up the storehouses of heaven and every one of us has the equal ocean of grace available to us. You all agree with that? Yeah. And the pagans didn't understand that. But he says at the beginning, I want you to be uh, unified in heart and mind and thought. Well, let me scoot on here. The idea that if God has grace for you, as Jesus would say to that man who was forgiven, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? But something was going on in the, in the body of Christ because Christ would deal graciously and you would learn to deal graciously with your own sin from the Lord who embraces you in your sin. How does God deal with your sin? What's your experience? How does the Lord touch you, correct you, cleanse you, call you in your sin? Think about, because if you have a fist, how does God work in your life to let that fist soften and say, okay, Lord, I trust you. How does he deal with you in your immaturity? How does the Lord grow you up? How has he, what has he used to help you grow so that your relationships reflect that grace that if you have that, are you doing it elsewhere on your, hor on your horizontal relationships? You know what compassion and grace is. And you know how difficult it is to give compassion and grace to those who don't have compassion and grace. Well, that's what Corinthians is all about. You see, Paul understood, and I think you have a taste of this. We are convinced that this friendship with God, this wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin, gives us acceptance and gives us a, a sense of worship that we honor the Lord because we know he's like that. And because he made me different, my difference is the channel for his grace to flow through my personality as it does through yours. God's grace coming through you is going to be a little bit different, but it's going to be just as rich but it's going to come through your relationships. We know that God gives peace and grace and friendship. We know that his involvement is the most worthy goal, most worthy of spending Sunday morning worship and other things. We don't 
just compartmentalize our lives. We want Christ to be involved in all of our lives. God is gracious, and he's moving sophomores into maturity. Why? Because he is the friend. This is the fellowship. And so you have to ask this concept, what does a friend mean? What does it mean to be a Christian friend? Quickly, a friend is somebody who is, agrees with me all the time, lets me get my way. No, that's not a friend. No, no, ask any parent. They're not going to do that, right? A friend is someone who sometimes disagrees with you because they see you doing something that is harmful and is not in your best interest. A friend is someone who wants the very best for your life. A friend is someone who will pay the price to get the best for you in your life. As someone who will help you move towards the very best that you can be. As someone who gives you space, who listens when you need it, and someone who, who will let you make your own decisions and your own mistakes, but will be gracious to you all the way along. Grace accepts the unacceptable. Grace moves to embrace the unacceptable. Grace liberates and restores. Where do you find a friend like that? Good night. Are you a friend like that? Christ is. For God, um, God is not interested in, in shaping us up and changing the flesh. He's interested in reframing the whole ordeal that we've messed up. He wants to introduce the kingdom and let this go and start brand new. A new life in Christ. Well, that has to go back to this concept of sin. And the concept of sin you can't talk about grace without dealing with this separation from God that we've broken the relationship. What is God's desire? What's his target? It's your heart. It's your heart. What's his goal? That he, you would live in a relationship in such a way that your embrace of Christ and Christ's embrace of you would be such a reality that your experience of Christ would not be a program thing, but it would be life in Christ. But when we're separated from the gracious love of the Father, we fight and we quarrel. When we're separate from the grace of Christ, we fight and we quarrel. We don't handle conflict well. We don't handle debates well. We don't handle politics well. We don't handle war well. We don't respond to rebellion the way God does. We don't handle the sins of others the way God handles my sin. Well, all this is to start out this book to say that in Corinth, there are lots of things that they didn't understand. And you know what one of the first things was they, they had fights about? Baptism. Uh, I got baptized by Billy Graham. I got baptized by Mother Teresa. I got baptized by this famous person. I got baptized by that famous they didn't understand baptism because they were more concerned about, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, I'm of Paul, I'm of Christ. They were more interested about who was doing the baptism. Oh, I got baptized, you know, by Charles Stanley or whoever. You don't get credit for who baptizes you. You miss the whole point. It's Christ is the baptizer. You've been baptized into Christ, and for you are all children of God by faith in Christ, not in Paul, not in Peter, but they missed it. They were focusing on the human level 
and understanding, not understanding the spiritual level, but for those who have been baptized, that spirituality that you've been brought into Christ, and that when you die, and before you die, and then after you die, you're in Christ. And that's what they didn't understand because they were focused on the conflict. They were focused on the preferences. They focused on the differences. They were misunderstanding all of that. But Paul wanted them to say, you've missed the grace, and I'm here to correct that. So I appeal to you that you get back in line and understand that grace work that leads you to that same agreement of mind. Well, as we get into this, this uh, book, what you're going to find are some really interesting lessons. What you're going to find is, one, God is faithful from the beginning. God is faithful who called you into his friendship. Same word, partnership, yoke fellow. You are together with your brother Christ. And he is the Lord. So as I go into this, this passage, what you're going to find that there's conflict with Paul and that Paul is going to have people abandon Paul's relationship that he had given to them. They were being undermined. But in Corinthians, you're going to learn how grace moves in conflict. In Corinthians, you're going to learn how grace restores people into mature friendships. And in this book, you're going to find out how the Holy Spirit works in your relationships to build a gracious community. This is chocked full of stuff. And therefore, to conclude... The idea that there are some essential relationships, ideas in Corinthians, that grace is going to teach you how to love. So get prepared. You'll, you'll, you'll improve your relationships. Grace is going to give you more wisdom to understand people, and that's what we're doing Wednesday night. Grace will give you that ability to accept people for where they are, and then the right timing, speak the wisdom to take them to the next step. All this is part of Corinthians. Where do we need this? So with this, let me conclude and say, uh, read again. Stay right there in chapters 1 through 4. and Just read that as a section, that whole section, because you go back over and you go, huh, and then you'll see these relationships develop. Are you ready for this? This is the American book, and we need grace. So let's, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you so much that it is sweet to rest in you, to say, I trust you, that grace has got us covered. Thank you, God, that you know that we don't know you very well and that you give us grace for that. Like the Corinthians, Father, we just are focused on the wrong things. But thank you that your Holy Spirit will guide us into the right things. Lord, I just pray that, that these words today would help us move out of our sophomores state into a more mature godly state because we are because of our position in Christ. So Lord, we thank you for this. We ask that you would continue to build us up so that your glory would be real and experienced here in, in this church and elsewhere. So Lord, we just thank you. Bless it in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.